Uh, you know, as we think about this message and was thinking about today and, and uh, where we're headed, I, I was reminded of how quickly things can change, especially in our lives. How quickly our lives can be shattered, adjusted, um, how things can happen. In fact, it, it only takes a phone call or a diagnosis, and you know what I mean. Lives can be changed. The, the next week after getting that phone call or diagnosis could, could be really crazy, and, and it could go on for months and even years, and it even happens not just for individuals, but for nations. Think about 1963 in November. Uh, we're told that America was changed forever. We lost our innocence at the assassination of President Kennedy. Probably a lot of us here remember how our nation was changed September 11th, 2001. Just like that, everything changes. And we look back and we think, wow, we never thought when we woke up on that November morning in 1963 or that September morning in 2001 that life would change so much. And it just doesn't happen in individual lives and in the nation. It also happens in communities. Sheila and I arrived here in August of 2012. That was like five months after the Chardon school shootings. A community just punched in the gut. Families devastated. And we all suffer. And we all feel it. And it affects us all. We all tend to go around watching, keeping our eyes out, watching our children a little more when those type of things happen. Life can change like that. And so over this next few weeks, as we prepare for Palm Sunday and for Easter, we're going to look at a message that Jesus gave to his disciples when that last week was about to rock their world. And it did. In fact, if you remember, the week started off pretty well with Palm Sunday and this big celebration and Jesus riding into Jerusalem and being hailed as the king of the Jews. And it was a great time. And the disciples got a little heady and thought, wow, this is so great. In fact, uh, it's, that carried them through the week as some strange things started to happen. Like Jesus going into a temple and knocking over tables and, and doing some things that were unusual and, and talking strange talk, things of death and resurrection, things they just weren't quite grasping. But it comes down to then the night before his death, hours before his death, and their world was really going to be rocked, and they had no clue. In fact, the Bible tells us, as you read through some of these passages in the scriptures, that the the disciples were actually arguing there at the, around that last table, supper, the, the Passover meal. They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They just hadn't grasped what Jesus was going to face. So they're arguing, and, and they're arguing, and what does Jesus do? He takes off his outer cloak, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he goes around, and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. And he says, you guys just don't get it, do you? You must be a servant. The Bible tells us that as they gathered around for the meal, that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Well, yeah, he was troubled in his spirit because he had just washed the feet and was sitting down with a man who was going to betray him in just a few hours. 
His spirit was troubled because he knew what he was going to face. In fact, when he took the bread, he did something that had never been done before. He broke it and he started passing around. He says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And it tells us that he took the cup and he says, here's the blood of the covenant given for the forgiveness of sins. My blood. And they didn't understand. Judas gets up and leaves and, and Jesus starts talking about the future, and he says, I gotta go away. You can't follow me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, and, 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 and you, you can't be part of this. And, and it's so frustrating and, and so foreign to the disciples that Peter says, no, 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 I'll be with you all the time, never leave you, I'll be there. And Jesus says, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. Wow. And so they're sitting there, and they're, they're, they're in this, like many of us are, in this intersection of confused and lost, unclear, perplexed, disoriented, and bewildered. Have you been there? Your world gets rocked. Things aren't happening the way you expect them to happen. Your life gets interrupted, and all of a sudden, you're lost. You're confused. The future's unclear. Do you ever feel like you're walking around a little bit of a daze? I'm just not even sure where I'm headed right now, Lord. That was the disciples. They were here with you. They were at this intersection, and they were saying, what is going on here? Jesus, what are you trying to say? They still didn't understand. Mark tells us in Mark 14, 50 later that when all this happened, they still didn't understand. He said they all deserted him and fled. They were, they were devastated. What was going to happen? And then, of course, Peter denies Jesus. So is it any wonder, is it any wonder that as Jesus starts this, what we call the farewell discourse in John chapter 14, but he starts it with these words. Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. The verb tense there basically says, quit being troubled. I know you're troubled. Quit being troubled. And he not only says it here in verse 1, but he bookends it at the end of the chapter in verse 27. He says it again, let not your hearts be troubled. And so this chapter 14 of John is kind of known as Jesus' comfort chapter, where he's taking these folks who are going to be facing difficulties, already hearing about what's happening, and trying to figure out what's going on, and he's saying, don't be troubled about what's happening. Do not, do not let your heart be troubled. And so we pick it up in the first six verses to begin with of John 14. John 14, first six verses of Jesus' final discourse, his farewell discourse to his disciples. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you've been in church for very long at all, you've probably heard these words because they are words of encouragement. I have a place for you. God's there. It's prepared for you. And I'm going to come and get you. And you can be with me and you can be with the Father. And by the way, you may think you do not know the way. You're trying to figure out the way. But guess what? I am the way. Stick with me, because I am the way. And so they're looking at this, and they're saying, wow, Lord, that's great. But what are you talking about? They're still confused. (laughs) They just don't understand. They're not grasping what Jesus has said. And it can be tough. And this is going to be a big passage. In fact, this John 14, we can't cover it in a half hour. So I'm just going to cover five words. It's Two commands that Jesus gives in this scripture. Two commands. One's a three-word command. One's a two-word command. And they both start with the same word. And that word is believe. Believe. He says in verse 1 there, you believe in God, believe in me. So he's saying, here's the first thing you need to do. If you want to have some victory, if you want to be able to go through these circumstances, if you want to be able to triumph over the troubles and what life is throwing at you, you need to believe in me. Now, if all of Jesus is talking about is believing that he exists, that shouldn't be too tough for them, right? They're sitting in the room with him. They've been with him for three years. They've eaten with him. They've watched him do miracles. They've watched him do all kinds of things. So having to believe that Jesus exists can't be what he's saying. What he's saying is, in the same way you believe in God, you need to believe in me. Jesus is saying, in case you haven't understood, I am equal to God the Father. Today, We have people that don't believe that he ever existed. You may talk to some. You may run into some. But if people give it a thorough, logical, historical look, there really is little debate that Jesus Christ existed. We have 27 books in the Bible that says he existed. But besides that, there are many, many other sources that say that Jesus Christ existed. There are Roman Roman historians that write about Jesus Christ's existence. There are Greek authors who, when they're writing, are reporting about this man, Jesus Christ. The Jewish historians, which have no reason to want to say anything positive about Jesus, they say he existed. You read Jewish history. The Jewish Talmud itself talks about Jesus. The Samaritans had their own historians They said Jesus existed. The evidence is overwhelming that he existed. So much fact so that in uh, Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, quotes none other than the impartial source of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And here's what the Encyclopedia Britannica says about these independent secular accounts. He says, these independent accounts prove that in ancient times, even the opponents of Christianity never doubted the historicity of Jesus. 
which was disputed for the first time and on inadequate grounds by several authors at the end of the 18th century, during the 19th and at the beginning of the 20th centuries. So the fact that Jesus exists shouldn't be an issue. It's an issue that history has proved. And it's an issue that those disciples would have had no doubt about. So it's not an issue of does he exist. It's is he who he says he is. When he claims to be God, is he God? He says it's just not enough to believe that I exist. In fact, he goes on in verse 7 of chapter 14. He says this, if you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. (laughs) Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Here's Philip, uh, open mouth, insert foot. (laughs) Jesus just said right above there, if you know me, you have seen the Father. And he says, oh, show us the Father. He goes, oh, no, no. (laughs) You've seen the Father. Philip, I've never been with you. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is claiming equal status with God the Father. You might remember, it wasn't that long ago, we were studying the book of Colossians in chapter 1. And Paul says he is the exact image of the invisible God. He is who he says he is. He says, believe in God. Believe in me. Those two sentences are equal in authority and in truthfulness. Believe in God, believe in me. He doubles down in the next verse, verse 10. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus is now calling God Father. He's my Father. And our relationship is so intimate that he is living in me. Jesus is telling them, when you look, you might see a man. You might see my arms and legs and my flesh and my hair and all those things. But inside of me is something different. Inside of me is God the Father. We cannot be separated. We are one. In fact, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus had something that nobody else had. He had a relationship to the Father that nobody else had. But after his resurrection, in fact, the morning of his resurrection, he met up with Mary Magdalene. John chapter 20, verse 17. And he says this to her. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Jesus has opened up an opportunity for us to have the same relationship with God that he has. The resurrection changed everything. Life was changed. The way people related to God would forever be changed because of the resurrection. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believeth in him, believes in him, shall not die but have everlasting life. He says, Believe in me. I am God. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believe in your heart. I know this is where people get hung up. We can believe he existed. I mean, if we believe even the historians and we don't believe the Bible, we believe he existed. But do you believe he's God? Do you believe he's, he's equal in authority to God? Do you believe he is, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father? That's a struggle for some people. This whole thing about raising from the dead is a struggle for some people. You know, that's not really where we're going this morning. But I want to tell you, in a few weeks, we're going to. On Palm Sunday, we're going to start a series based on the movie, The Case for Christ. It's going to be a four-week series where we look at the evidence and we examine it. The movie's coming out the 6th or 7th of, of, uh, of April, and we're going to go right along with it and say, okay, what is the evidence that Jesus Christ was God and that, and that he rose from the dead? Can we trust it? Is it reliable? Is it something that we can make a head knowledge decision about as well as a heart knowledge I encourage you to be here if you're struggling with that. Because we believe that Jesus Christ, and we believe in him. We believe in him. Not that he's just a man, but that he was God. Jesus Christ claimed to be equal to God, and he did it there, and he says, this is for your benefit. This is for your benefit that I'm God. I've been to heaven. I've seen it. Heaven is a real place. You can count on it. It reminds me of a story. <laughs> a story of uh, a lady. She was given a diagnosis of three months to live. Looking at that diagnosis, realizing that what was going to happen, she went and met with her pastor to plan her service. She says, Pastor, here's what I want. And she says, here's the scripture I want read. Here's some of the things I like to be said. Here's the music I like to have played. Here's the songs I like to have sung. And by the way, here's the dress I like to wear. And it says, one other thing, um, while I'm laying there, I would like to have a fork in my right hand. Pastor thought, well, that's rather odd. Why do you want a fork in your right hand? She goes, well, let me tell you a story. Growing up in the church and all these years in the church, I remember all those great meals we've had. All those times where we gather together and we, we eat together and, and everybody has such a wonderful time. And you know, as the folks come around and clean up the table, what do they always tell me? Hang on to your fork. <laughs> Hang on to your fork. She says, Pastor, I love desserts. And hanging on to my fork tells me the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. She passed away and visitation, calling hours happened and people were walking by and they're going, what is that fork doing in her right hand? <laughs> and the pastor got to tell her, the best is yet to come. She knows who Jesus is. And Jesus has said, there's a heaven, and he's waiting for me. And I believe it because he is God, and he said he would be there. 
But he goes on, verse 11. He says this. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. How about that? Greater things than Jesus did. He says, wow, that's impossible. How can you do greater things than walk on water and heal the dead and all that? You know, I can do some things that Jesus could not do. I can warm up my macaroni and cheese in 30 seconds. Now, he probably could have done that, but, you know, in limiting his body, he could not have done it. You know, there's a lot of things we can do, but it's not talking about the spectacular things. This is about the, 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 the impact of our ministry. When Jesus was on earth, the impact of his ministry was in such a small area. But after he passed away and the disciples filled with his spirit went out and they were able to, to take the message into Europe and to Asia and to East Asia and to Africa. And the word of God spread far beyond what it could when Jesus was here. He says, you're going to do greater things. You're going to take the word. You're going to take it around the world. And it doesn't just say you. It says whoever believes in me. That's just, this is not just a word for the disciples. This is for us here today. And then he looks at the disciples. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, you will do it. You say, wow, Lord, in your name, give me a million dollars. Oh, that's maybe not what God's thinking. You know, when you go and ask for someone, if you're representing the country and you say, I'm asking for something in the name of the president, you're asking what the president is asking for. Make sure when you ask, you ask, Lord, what do you want for me? What's best for me? Ask in his name so that it glorifies God through Jesus and he'll do it. But I notice as I looked at this, I noticed there's two other words. Verse 11 started off with it. It said, believe. But this time, instead of believe in me, it says this, believe me. That can be harder, I know. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe that he existed. And maybe this morning you even believe that he's the son of God and he's equal to God. But do you believe him? When he said there's a heaven, do you believe him? When he says you'll do greater things than me, do you believe him? When you're going through those tough, tough, tough times, do you believe him? Do you believe what he says? There's a word for that, and it's called faith. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you believe he'll do what he says he'll do? When the rubber hits the road, is your faith in Christ Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That's the first thing. You gotta believe in him that he exists. But that he also rewards those who earnestly seek him, that he'll do what he said he'll do. Jesus is calling us this morning to believe in him, but to believe him. If you're struggling, trust in him. Believe him. How do you do that? How do you do that? Oh, Paul's got the solution, and it's right next. In fact, if Paul was writing with the story I told you earlier in mind, I think this is Paul would say, get your forks out right now. <laughs> this is the good stuff. This is the dessert. This is how we can walk believing in Christ. And he starts it in verse 14, 15, excuse me. If you love me, keep my commands. 
I think if you believe in Christ and you believe Christ, you're going to love Christ. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Jesus says, here's the dessert. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience God. Even though I'm leaving, you get to have God here now. And this God is not like next to you, with you like I am. He is in you. The same way that God the Father is in Jesus Christ, God, through his Holy Spirit, lives in you. That is exciting news. Because it's God living in us that helps us walk through those circumstances. It's God living in us that helps us walk through those tough, tough times. He says, he lives with you and he will be in you. How do you know this is God? Well, he says, I'm going to send another advocate. Another advocate. I've been an advocate for you. I've been a helper. I've been a counselor. I'm sending you another one. I'm sending you another me. I'm sending you another me to live in you. And you have access to God because of that. You won't see him. The world won't see him. They won't know him, but you'll know him because he lives in you. And then he says this, I'm doing this because I'm not going to leave you as orphans in verse 18. Isn't that great? He says, I'm, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. You don't have to walk through this alone. I was talking, having coffee this week with a friend. He's, uh, he's in ministry, but he's not in a church ministry. He's in a parachurch ministry. And he was talking to me and said, you know, I, we've noticed something in our studies. He said, Christians that grow up in a church, kind of like me, grown up in a church, maybe some of you, never left, always been there, always followed Christ, you know, never really strayed much. He says, it seems like they, they tend to hit a wall. At some point, they hit a wall, some sooner than later. They, they quit growing, they begin to doubt, they, they you know, are just frustrated. I said, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think so. He says, and we've come to a discovery that we think is accurate. He says, what, what they've never really understood They've never understood God. The Father is their daddy. God's been a distant uh, uh, judge, uh, uh, the man upstairs. He's never been their daddy. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You've got a daddy. My God is your God. My Father is your Father. And here's the best news, he says. That same spirit, that same God who lived in me can live in you. And he's daddy. And he cares for you and watches you, protects you. The Bible tells us there that he's a counselor. He's a comforter. He's an advocate. He's a helper. And he's tough times.
having a daddy changes how you relate to God, doesn't it? He's not a force. He's my daddy. He cares for me. He loves me. Jesus closed this little portion of his talk with this. He says, but the advocate, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. You say, wow, this Holy Spirit sounds great. I'd like to know more about him. You know, that's a good thing about this discourse that Jesus does for these next two or three weeks. This is the greatest teachings on the Trinity and the Holy Spirit that we have in the Bible. So we'll be back and talking about his Holy Spirit. But he's saying he's sending him and he can live in you. And then he closes with this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Where we started, <laughs> do not be afraid. What are you going through? What difficulties, what distress? Where, where's, where are things unclear in your life? Where have you given up? Jesus says, if you believe in me and you believe me, then I'll do what I say. My spirit will come and I'll help you. I'll assist you. I'll lead you. I'll direct you. I'll comfort you in those tough times. That's what God's all about. Yeah, it's great to have that promise of heaven, isn't it? It's great. But I want help today. I want help now. And God says, I'm offering it to you through my Holy Spirit, living in you, in you. And it says, he will be with you forever, forever. Let's stand together. As we close, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I believe if you're, if you're like many of us and many folks, there's something going on. Something going on. Something that's difficult. Something that's got, just kind of punched you in the gut, maybe. Maybe your family. I don't know what it is. When Jesus Christ died and, and, and when he spoke to the disciples about what they were going to go through, he says, you're not hopeless. You're not helpless. You have my spirit to lead you and direct you and care for you. And by the way, when you make it through, whoa, is there a mansion waiting for you? <laughs> is there a home? Get out your forks. Get out your forks. We got some dessert to eat. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I believe you've spoken to us, spoken to us about things that we're going through that we have been frustrated about. Lord, things that have been um, dragging our spirits down. Lord, I think of these disciples and how confused they were, how utterly in despair they became as they, as they left Jesus' side. And Lord, we confess we've been there. There have been times when we've run away. There's been times we've turned our back on you. But yet, Lord, you call us back again and again and again. And your Holy Spirit teaches us and directs us and guides us. Lord, if there's some here this morning that they, they believe in you and they believe you, but they've never experienced the power of your Spirit in their life, Lord, I pray that you fill them. Lord, may your Spirit come and hover over us. May you infuse us with power from on high. Lord, may we be able to live with strength and wisdom and grace. It's not our own, but grace and power that comes from you. Lord, help us to 
not blame our physical limitations and our humanity, but Lord, to allow your spirit to come and indwell us, to change us, to renew us, to refresh us, to give us that new relationship of daddy. Lord, go with us. Help us this week to reflect and to to offer to others this good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that he cares for us and loves us, that he is God, and that he has promised so many great things, a future with you and a present living with you. Help us to know that ourselves. And as we go, Jesus Christ be lifted up in all we do, all we say, and the things that we ask for, may they be in your name and to bring honor and glory to you, not for us. You deserve it. You deserve the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to know more, if you want to talk about this Holy Spirit or experience you might have, we're up here to talk with you. Uh, But in the meantime, go and serve the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit and go in grace. You're dismissed.